great singing this morning. You should applaud for yourselves. It really sounded good in here. Partially because we um, failed to release your children for children's worship. (laughs) And they sing louder than most of us. If there is anybody's child who didn't figure out what was going on and already dismissed, Miss Christie's still here. Um, If you're a guest with us, we have children's worship during this hour so the kids can have Bible study and worship and activities geared a little bit more towards their age. um, And that's what's taking place right now. Immediately after the service, uh, you'll have the opportunity to pick them up right out these doors backstage. There's a courtyard area and there's a room directly across that courtyard. They will be kept safe there until you pick them up. And you will pick them up right after the service. Because we, we, we love your kids, but we don't want to keep your kids. And so um, that's where they've gone. If anybody didn't get a chance to dismiss earlier, feel free to, to go and do that at this time. Um, and we'll make sure they're taken care of and they have a great time. They'll have fun and they'll get to do all kinds of great things. The rest of us get to sit in here with me. And um, if you didn't pick up crayons and, and something to color on, they are in the lobby. You can pick that up if you need that right now. Or you can go with me and turn in your Bible um, or put, pick it up on your Bible app. We're in Mark chapter 4. This is one of the Gospels, one of the four historical pieces that talks about the life of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is sharing two more parables. We're looking at parables. These are stories that are actually fictional. Jesus just made them up to prove a point or to illustrate something he was wanting the disciples and those listening to him to understand. And we have those recorded in the Gospels, and we can read and we can study those. Typically, they're pretty simple, straightforward points, and we have the opportunity to understand that and apply it into our life in the 21st century today, in this moment. We can apply it this afternoon. We can apply it, and specifically this week, um, as Vacation Bible School is taking place, the parables we're going to look at this morning help us understand, quite honestly, why we do church. Why we do activities like Vacation Bible School. Why we put a major portion of our budget into an activity like this week. And why we have um, Vacation Bible School is the most volunteer intensive activity of the entire year for us. And these parables explain why so much commitment, so much effort, so much financial backing goes into a week like this. Because God gives us the unique opportunity to partner with him for the expansion and the duration and the activities of his kingdom. And that primary activity is helping people find and have the conversations that introduce Jesus to them who is our life-changing Savior, the one who can completely change our lives. Wherever we're coming from, whatever circumstances, the pattern of our past or the pattern of our history changes when we meet Jesus. If you've had a great life, you've had a great experience, you have no regrets, you meet Jesus, it just gets better. If you're like the rest of the 99% of us, and life at times hasn't been so good, life at times has been frustrating or disappointing, even harmful or injurious, and you're hurting, and you have regrets, and you have things that you wish just hadn't happened, and decisions you wish you hadn't have made in the direction you made them, and you want and you desire forgiveness and a hope for the future, meeting Jesus changes that. And Jesus describes how this work, how this labor 
of inviting people into these life-changing relationships is accomplished in this unique partnership between us and him. Let me read them to you. Mark chapter 4, we're all the way down in verse 26. Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. The area around Jerusalem is primarily agricultural. And so there are, there are orchards of olive trees. There are vineyards scattered across the hillsides. There are major um, fields and pastures where livestock graze. And one of the primary resources of agriculture is the planting of wheat, which Jesus is making reference to in these parables. So while most of us probably aren't planting wheat this week, we can still understand out of this agricultural story how we partner with God to accomplish and further his kingdom, his agenda. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, that is the harvesters, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable, these fictional stories that help us understand biblical truth, What parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when it is sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Jesus uses this agricultural situation to help understand the way his kingdom works. And the first part, the first parable in verse 26, gives us the idea and the understanding of how we partner with God. Jesus taught his disciples to pray for the kingdom and to pray in this fashion, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here is this unique dynamic in the teaching of Jesus, understanding God's kingdom. It is his kingdom. It is his work. It is his agenda. And our heart's desire is to join him in that process. And so we pray that his will would be done. We pray that his kingdom would come. This is about putting our agendas aside to accomplish his agenda. And Jesus describes it as a moment when a farmer makes the decision to create the opportunity for the productivity of his land, of his field, but partners with God who is the only one whose work can sustain and forever keep that produce, keep that harvest as a part of the kingdom. And so we create our desire following God's will, our desire as a church, as a ministry. We, we put time, we put money, we put effort, we put strategy, we put creativity like this week is, is offering up and acknowledging. We put this energy in to create the opportunity for God to work. 
Because the farmer develops the field. The farmer develops and prepares everything. And the farmer goes and he spreads the seed. He puts it in place. He plants it and he gets it ready. And while that is the moment in which he pauses, that is the moment in which he rests, that is the moment in which he stops that aggressive activity and waits, the miracle of the life that God gives begins to sprout and begin to grow. And every day he has the opportunity to walk outside of his house, to walk out of his apartment, go out to that field, go out to that little place that he has decided to put his fruit, his vegetables, his activities of harvesting. He goes out and he watches it. And he watches it just like we do if we've ever planted a plant, whether it's in our front yard or our backyard or on a pasture or on a hillside or in a complete farm with acres and acres of land. He watches it break through the soil. He watches it start to come out and leaves begin to develop. He watches as the leaves and the stalks begin to grow and he watches as all that begins to develop and then there comes the process of the actual production of the fruit and he watches that as it grows and as it comes full to, to its, its life and its maturity and then in that moment he strategically makes the decision to harvest and bring in this great harvest, the, this great produce which is more than just the means by which he gets his income but it is by the means by which the world is touched. Because he's not going to keep all of that grain for himself. He's going to harvest that grain. And that grain is going to be exported out to touch hungry people. Let's use this week for an example. We, we have been working for weeks. There's been activities. The budget was set last year. All the things have gone into the focus of this week. All the preparation is done. Everything's prepared. Children will have the opportunity in the environments where they're most comfortable to hear about one simple fact. God loves them. In fact, the theme verse this year out of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is up on the screens earlier. I don't know, Donna, if we can back up and bring it back up. It describes that love from before their conception an introduction into this world. God created us for good works in his name. He designed us. He created us. It's his deepest desire to be in relationship with us. We create the opportunity this week for God to work and to be able to see those moments in an atmosphere that is conducive to hearing that message of Christ that has so much hope. Our children will hear this week, your grandchildren will hear this week that they are so deeply loved by God that he designed them, he created them. They are unique, they are special in their own right because God's hand is on them. And now that God wants to continue having a relationship. Every painter spills paint. Every musician hits a wrong note. Every engineer makes a mistake in a formula. Every contractor, every construction worker makes a mistake that causes a difficulty in the building process. We are not a mistake-free people. But because God designed us, he gave the opportunity to redesign us. 
He gave the opportunity to correct the wrong note, to pick up the pain and clean up the mess, to recalculate and rebuild. And that possibility happens when his grace is experienced. When we recognize he loves us regardless of how bad our mistakes have been, regardless of how horrible or how difficult or how ineffective our life prior to meeting him has been, in the same way that if we haven't, which these kids enter into an atmosphere this week where they will hear those positive things. We're not going to talk to them extensively about their sin and their mistakes. For one thing, most of them haven't done anything that grievous yet. But all of us, every single one of us, at the first available opportunity, we take that chance and we go and we do something that's contrary to our designer's design. See, God creating us means he had a purpose for us. And he loved us and he wanted us to accomplish that purpose. Sin is simply making a decision, doing an action or failing to do an action that is contrary to the designer's intent. And so we, we break that relationship in that moment. We can use huge words like holiness and righteousness and the things to describe this process. But the bottom line is God designed us for a purpose. And when we sin, we live, we act, we speak, we think aberrant or deviant to that original design. And the mistake is made. And that mistake complicates on and on and on. If the engineer gets the formula wrong, if the designer and the machinist gets the gears wrong, it's not just that one moment that's impacted. It will continue to perpetuate itself. And it will further down the road create greater difficulties and greater damage and greater disturbance. And that's what sin does. It's not that at three years old I was asked who ate the cookies and I lied and said my sister ate them. And committed my first sin. I'm pretty sure mine came even before then. I think that was, I think that was part of the, you know, the, the, the continual impact and influence of that first one. If we don't deal with it, it doesn't change. And God wants us to deal with it. So he gave his son. He gave Jesus on the cross. And your kids will hear about that. Your kids will know. Jesus died on the cross for one specific purpose. And that was to forgive our sins and to correct the mistake that we made. And that's the hope of the message of Jesus. Only God can do that. Only God can make that happen. We've designed, we've strategized, we've worked, we've spent money, we've put resources into this week. So your child will have the opportunity, so your grandchild will have the opportunity to hear this week. That when things get messed up, God loves them enough to clean it up. And he did it by Jesus, his son, coming here, living here on earth. But the change that happens, the life change moment that happens this week will not be because of our church. It will not be because of the thousands of dollars we spend. It will not be because of the thousands and thousands of hours that have been put in. It'll be because after we have planted the seed and we've waited, God causes the growth. God will change lives this week. God changes life every week in the life of our church. We just get to uniquely see it in this stage because this is one of the earliest moments most children have the opportunity to make that decision to trust in and find and experience the love of God. It'll happen this week because we created an opportunity for God 
to work. Yes, we've labored and yes, we've put in effort and we are, we are proud of that and we're thankful for the opportunity to partner with him. But a life will be changed because God intervenes. No one in our organization successfully changed their lives by themselves. No one in our organization ever experienced significant life change because they made, started making the right decisions instead of the wrong decisions. Their lives were changed. Our lives were changed. My life was changed because Jesus became a part of it. And out of his love and out of his grace, he said, let me fix this. Let me fix the things that you did wrong. And following Jesus gives us the ability to now live that new, corrected, whole life instead of the broken life we were living or would continue or would perpetuate in our lives. The greatest way, in my personal opinion, from my own personal history and background, to fully experience a significant change is to let God work in us. Just like as a church, as an individual, now create the opportunity for God to work. We'll plant the seeds. We'll even participate in the harvest. We'll even participate in seeing the beauty of the fruit and seeing that that fruit will exponentially impact the rest of the world in ways we can't even imagine. But the great things that happen this week or next week or next year or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, the the great things that are ahead in the future are because God made it happen. The crop appeared to come up on its own. The produce appeared to make its way by itself. But at the root of it was the creative genius of God that gives it and sustains its life. Because God wants to know us and be with us. Now, because of this unique partnership, there's one other factor I'd want us to catch this morning. Not only is it God that does the work and we just have the opportunity, we get the privilege of creating the opportunity and make moments available so that we can have those life-changing conversations, one conversation at a time. We can do that because God's going to work and move in that. But I'm going to go one step further and say simply this. Those opportunities and those moments will accomplish something beyond our imagination. We need to expand our expectations for God to work. This week isn't about what we can accomplish. And I'm saying this week because we're in the middle of it and you can't miss it. You can't, you can't even doze off without waking up and suddenly realizing something different's happening around here this week. But it is true of everything we do. It's true of every ministry. It's, it's true of every conversation we have at work or at home. Everything we have, everything we do, everything we desire is that desire for God to expand his kingdom, for his kingdom to come impact earth the same way it is in heaven, changing lives in a significant fashion. But we have to expand expectations because because God's our, our partner, things aren't going to go exactly the way we think they are. They're going to exceed what we think. They're going to exceed what we imagine. 
Paul, the apostle Paul is the one who wrote Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that we're sharing with the kids this week how you are created out of God's desire, out of God's love and created for his purpose and to do his works. You are unique and specific and individual. But the very following chapter, in chapter 3, verse 20, the Apostle Paul challenges the church that God will hear their prayers and that God will interact with them because of their prayers. But he adds the caveat that because it's God who's answering our prayers, what will happen will exceed our greatest thoughts, our greatest imagination. And that's the second parable. Jesus tells those who are listening that when we're talking about the kingdom of God, We're talking about something that seemingly in the beginning becomes so small that it appears to have no significant or even negligible impact or potential for change. Most of you have seen possibly pictures of mustard seed. If you've been around church culture at all, it's a popular image. It's a popular, we had it out on some of our social media this past Friday and you could have seen it. And typically what you look at is a little brown seed. And your first thought, if you have any familiarity at all with agriculture and produce and, and, and crops is that's not the smallest seed. Clearly, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, which would be ridiculous since he was there when it was all designed and created in the first place. If you ever pick up that mustard seed from the ancient Near East, from from that area around Jerusalem where Jesus is teaching, then you would know that what you actually typically see is a very thin shell. It is a pod. If you break that pod, there's a very fine black dust inside that pod. That dust, which is not even... You you can't actually see it with the naked eye. You would have to magnify it in some form or another. That dust is the tens of thousands of mustard seeds that are inside the mustard seed pod. And Jesus says one of those extremely small black granules is a seed that will produce a tree. In the ancient Near East, in the Mideast even today, a mustard seed planted, when it grows, when it comes to that full ability of the crop and the harvest, it grows typically about 8 to 12 feet high and it develops like a tree and it branches like a tree so that the birds in Jesus' parable do in reality find shelter, find the place to nest Find the place to conduct business, the place place to relax or take a pause, the place to build your family out of that nest, the, the place to go when there's a storm and there's a need for shelter. That becomes the largest planting in the garden or in the field. And it produces so much beyond what you would ever conceive of our natural thought processes. And Jesus says the same thing. It says the kingdom of God is like this. That opportunity that's created for God to work can seem so small that it may even escape us as appearing to be insignificant. But what God can do in that process of growth, what God can do with that one seed is incomprehensible. And it touches. Just like the harvest touches the world, the shelter of that tree touches its environment its surrounding areas, and its culture. Amazing things can happen. Right now, honestly, it feels mostly 
like kids and fun and activities and drawings and craft projects and mission offerings and and the ability to desecrate the staff at the end of the week if the offerings goals are met. Um, You'll get updates about that as the week goes on. It seems kind of small, seems kind of childish because it is. It's all about kids this week. But can any one of us predict the future of any one of those children? Because unfortunately, until this past week, we have under and minimized the value of children in this country for the last 50 years. We may not think it matters. We might think they're going to have fun this week and they'll have memories and they'll forget them by next week. But we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future of that child is. We're not capable of predicting our future. We all think we know what's happening. I can, I can pull out my calendar and I can tell you exactly what my schedule says is going to take place tomorrow. But the reality is I am not capable of telling you exactly what's really going to happen tomorrow. Because I don't have control over it. God has control over the entirety of all life. Lives will be changed this week. Which means the future will be changed. In unimaginable ways. I hesitate to even try to illustrate it because it's beyond our comprehension. Every time God changes one life. He changes the entire world. And that's why our expectations need to change. Because God's going to make it sprout. And this week it may look small, it may look young, it may look weak. But it's going to continue to grow. And it's going to sprout later and it's going to produce fruit and it's going to produce harvest. And the world will be different. The world is already different because of what's happened in the last 45 minutes here. And we're going to spend an entire week focused on that opportunity for children. Most of us will never see the results. We might get the privilege of seeing one or two. For the most part, we don't know. Because it's not our kingdom. We're not trying this week to make disciples of First Baptist Church, Tombaugh. We're not asking anybody to commit their life to church this week. We're asking them to meet the God who designed them, who created them, who gave them the opportunity to find forgiveness when they've made mistakes, and the God who has a plan, not just for his broad kingdom, but for every member of his kingdom, for every child of God who ever trusts in Jesus. He has a plan, and he has something ready for it, and it is beyond our imagination. The world will not be the same by next Sunday. Because God's the one who makes this stuff happen. Not us, not me, not you, no one. God's going to make it happen. He's the only one with the authority, the only one with the power. God's going to make it happen. And he's the only one that'll get the credit. He's the only one that deserves any honor, any recognition, any glory out of this. And that's what we're going to worship for a few minutes before we pick up the kids that we release, for a few minutes before we go about the rest of our activities. We're going to pause 
and just acknowledge how thankful we are to God. But I, I know because I was an adult when I made the decision to meet this amazing God who cared so much and loved me so much and knew exactly what he wanted me to do and exactly how I could do that successfully. I know there's someone probably in this room, there's probably someone on online church that's listening or will listen this week as they go back to the recordings. I know there are decisions that have been made and other decisions yet to be made. I want to, as your pastor, as your friend, encourage you to please let someone know. Either come up to us during the song or come up to us after the service, contact us through the website or through email or phone. Let someone know. Because the biggest and the most important decision you'll make today is where you stand with Jesus. Maybe for the very first time saying, yes, God, I'm going to trust you. Maybe you made that decision a long time ago. Maybe you made that decision in vacation Bible school as a kid. But the truth is it wasn't a childish decision. It was the most adult decision you ever made. So what's happening now? It's great that you went to vacation Bible school. It's great you made a decision. But you're 35 now. What's happening now? The same God you decided to follow at seven is the same God when you're 35, 65, 75, 95, 105. It's the same God. So we may be making a decision again today to see the very miracle of God's hand, God's work in our life and us participating. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done.